Greetings, fellow patriots, fellow citizens, uh, and uh, friends, and welcome to this week's edition of the We the People Convention on a blustery, cold uh, January you know, Saturday here in Ohio. And I know many of you around the nation are, are, are feeling some real cold, and we'll talk about the Iowa caucuses, how that's going to affect that. And I know on the southeast, you've had a lot of rain and snow. Uh, it's winter, and, uh, you know, that's... Uh, that's a time when we all are challenged, you know, to be uh, strong and to, to, you know, kind of think things through and make good decisions. And that's really, you know, a good metaphor for this year, you know, because that's what we're doing in 2024. We're thinking things through and we're making good decisions. So, so welcome to all of you. This is also uh, Monday is Martin Luther King's uh, day. And this is a very important day, in my opinion, in our country. And so let us begin the show with this. That one day, this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi a state sweltering with the heat of injustice sweltering with the heat of oppression be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Yeah, that's what I believe. That's what I believe America is about. You know, he quotes from the, the Declaration of Independence, right? He quotes directly from it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Yeah, well, we aren't getting the government that we consented to we're getting the marxist government that rejected this and that you know manipulated public opinion to put in place supposedly the first black mulatto uh, president Barack hussein obama who did what who rejected that ideal that dream of a colored blind country which we were achieving and i think we have achieved but since Barack Obama, it's all been about, no, no, Martin Luther King was wrong. We want diversity, equity, inclusion. We want critical race theory. We want, you know, talk about inherently racist and you cannot be forgiven for the sins of, their, of the past. They distorted history. That's what we're fighting. And on Martin Luther King Day, you need to talk about his speech, that he had a dream, that his children would be judged 
not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character, because that's the opposite, not just with blacks. That's the opposite with the left. Now, if you're white, you're inherently racist. That's judging people by the color of their skin, not the content of their character. You as patriots need to take advantage of that Martin Luther King holiday. Don't just blow it off and say, oh, yeah, there shouldn't be or whatever. No, no, no. It's now more important than ever that we stand by that ideal. That is what makes America the greatest country in the history of the world. There's no other country. Folks, you know, you grow up here and you just don't understand that in the rest of the world where they all talk such a great game, how many black people are in Sweden, Finland? How many, how many minorities are in China? No one. No one is the melting pot that we became. But, oh, no, no, we don't want the melting pot, right? So when all the, the people came from Europe and Asia you know, to come to our country in our earlier years and wanted to become Americans, and they changed our culture by adding to it, but they were Americans. Oh, no, no, that we can't have that. So we started talking about multiculturalism and, and cultural appropriations, you know. Don't you wear a Chinese dress to the prom, young lady, because you're, you're appropriating their culture. Bull crap. Get out of here. Take that crap to the commies. It's the melting pot. Yes, you all get into the big stew, and the stew, you know, its flavor changes a bit, but it's still America. That's what they've done to us. Monday, you get to push back. You get to say, no, no, Martin Luther King was right, and I believe that. I don't judge anybody by the color of their skin or anything else that they can't change. I judge them by the content of their character and mostly by the merit, right? By their merits. What can you do? That's the only fair way. We don't want any of that. Oh, no, 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 no. So what, we, what we've done is we've put Western civilization and our nation at huge risk simply because we, we, didn't, we gave up. We, the, we were forced to lie about Martin Luther King and this ideal of you know, judging people on the content, content of their character and not their skin color. And, and we, what have we done? We've pro promoted grossly incompetent people to lead all of our institutions, whether it's government, medicine, education, uh, movies, you know, entertainment, sports, the most incompetent people were there. You know why? Because they weren't chosen by their merit. They weren't chosen because they were the best. They were chosen because of the color of their skin or their gender identity or some other thing that means nothing. That's what we're fighting we're fighting to restore these ideals that made America great. The idea that we're a meritocracy, the idea that we don't judge people based on anything but their content or their character, that we accept everyone, but they have to accept us. They have to want to be us. And that's what the problem with this over-the-top migration that's going on. They're not coming here to be Americans. They're coming here to, to retain their, their, you know, their culture, right, in our country. That doesn't work. They know it doesn't work. They're doing it on purpose. And you'll see that Donald Trump has a, the right answer for this as we get into the show. 
So I want to welcome all of you to this week's show. Uh, you know, as you're, if you're a new viewer, you'll know that uh, this is a news recap show. What we do is we look at what happened this week, get rid of the propaganda, try to find something that's true, which is hard to do, and then we talk about what it means to your individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity, because that's the fight. The fight is about individual freedom versus state control versus being a slave, right? That's what the world wants. That's what the, the WEF and the you know WHO and all these you know the the New World Forum and all that stuff. They're about they want to control you. That's what the the Democrat Marxist communists are about. They don't they don't care about you. They care about power and money and control. We care about individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity and making our own decisions. So that's your get on this podcast. For those of you who watch all the time, thank you for staying with us. Thank you for acting on the things we do. Those of you who are new, we also will have actions. I will ask you to do things, and I will show you that by doing that, we can achieve things as well. So we don't. We will talk a lot in the show, but we'll also do things. And then I want to thank our generous donors. Uh, you know, to the We the People Convention. Now more than ever, you're, you're so important. In a tough time, it's harder to give. We know that. But our donations have stayed strong. And because of that, we've been able to act and be effective. And we thank all of you. So let me introduce myself. I think I forgot. My name is Tom Zawistowski. I'm the president of the We the People Convention. And I'm awful glad you joined us uh, for today's podcast. As you can see in the background, we have our flag flying upside down. Uh, it's been so windy, you can see my flagpole is bent a little bit, so I'll be doing some repairs on our flag. I, I bet you the winds right now are 30 to 40 miles an hour, and there's whitecaps on our little lake here outside my window. So you may hear some, some roaring sounds here as we do the podcast because it's howling out there. But this is not a, a sign of disrespect. The flag is displayed upside down because we are in severe danger, extreme danger to life and property because of the actions of our government and because of the, the actions of our enemies, the communist Chinese. And if you go to wethepeopleconvention.org uh, and search on flag upside down, you'll see a Gordon Chang video that talks about the fact that China is at war with us. We're actually in World War III, but our leaders are all owned by the Chinese. Don't, don't, you know, don't doubt me. Go on WeThePeopleConvention.org and search on Democrats Chinese. And it's not just Democrats. Mitch McConnell got $26 million from the father of his Chinese wife. All right? Our government's owned by the Chinese. That's why they are doing the things they are doing that aid the Chinese. Okay? China is trying to become the dominant world power, and we are in danger of losing that position to them because of the war they're fighting against us that most of your fellow citizens have no idea about. That's why we flag our flag upside down. We have a sign in our yard that says, why is my flag upside down with a QR code? You can get that on our website at the why is my flag upside down page because we're trying to warn our fellow citizens that we are at war and that you need to be aware of it and help us win it. So that's why the flag is upside down. You also know, you know, last week we had a, um, a very emotional, and, and it was a tough podcast for me to do. And I got some feedback from you guys, and I appreciate it, that you thought I did a good job commemorating January 6th 
and providing new information. Got lots of new information again on that today. But we begin our podcast every week remembering the January 6th political prisoners and praying for them because they are the canary in the coal mine. They are the symbol of what's going to happen to all of us if we don't fight this tyranny and defend individual liberty and freedom and restore our constitution and the rule of law. That's what we're doing. That's what 2024 is all about. So we remember the January 6th political prisoners by saying a prayer for them, for God to give them strength and courage to continue in this horrible situation, which I pointed out last week. And, you know, we interviewed Jake Lang. You can hear all kinds of interviews with him on our podcast and their families. Can you imagine a thousand days without your husband, your father, your grandfather, your, your, your wife, your grandmother? Thousand days, Jake Lang's been in prison. No trial date. No trial date yet. What's with that? It's not what's in our constitution. It's not the rule of law. It's not what we believe in. But help is coming. I'll talk a little bit about that next. But right now, please join me in saying a prayer for you know the, the January 6th political prisoners, their families, and their attorneys. All right, thank you for, for doing that. So this week, you know, on January 6th, so it was actually right when I was doing the podcast uh, for, uh, you know, last week, uh, the, the U.S. attorney, Matthew Graves, took the opportunity to basically rub it in our faces, okay? And I posted this story uh, on our website uh, at wethepeopleconvention.org. There is no difference between, you know, the people who are running the DOJ and the FBI and uh, the guy who was the, you know, the most ruthless secret police chief in, in Joseph Stalin's reign of terror in Russia, who said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. And, and here's U.S. Attorney Matthew Graveshaven saying, even if I never entered, even if you never entered the Capitol, we will charge you with a federal crime. Right. So what is this about? In a brazen act of political theater worthy of ethics investigation, U.S. Attorney for District of Columbia Matthew Graves gave an hour-long rehash of the events of January 6th to a handful of reporters last week. This is by Julie Kelly on Substack. You should support Julie Kelly on Substack. Graves, a Biden 22 campaign advisor. So this guy was actually working for the Biden campaign. He's now in charge of persecuting Biden's opponents, okay? Us, you and me. Um, he's an advisor of the campaign who was appointed by Biden in November 2021, is overseeing the Department of Justice's unprecedented and ongoing criminal investigation into the four-hour disturbance that has so far resulted in the arrest of more than 1,200 Americans. Acting more like a partisan member of the January 6th Select Committee than an unbiased government prosecutor, Gray's used an inflammatory and some instances inaccurate language to describe what happened that afternoon on January 6th and his office's continued pursuit of the perpetrators. Here's, here's what he said, if you didn't see it, real short. And what happened inside of the building? An important note when it comes to our prosecutions about those who remained outside the building. We have used our prosecutorial discretion to primarily focus on those who entered the building or those who engaged in violent or corrupt conduct on Capitol grounds. But if a person knowingly entered the restricted area, 
without authorization, they had already committed a federal crime. Make no mistake, thousands of people occupied an area that they were not authorized to be present in in the first place. Yeah, the prosecutorial, uh, you know, uh, this, uh, decision, right, that he you know, is going to use his discretion to decide who to charge, not the law, discretion, all right? And so the problem with all this is that they're just, they're, they're just making it up, okay? Um, on this, this story, so this is on our We the People Convention page, there's a, a, a video with Tucker Carlson, all right, and he's talking to uh, Congressman Higgins, who provided evidence that January 6th was a pre-planned setup to entrap innocent patriots for later prosecution and persecution in order to destroy any opposition to the deep state's control over the U.S. government. you got to watch that video uh, on that page because Higgins says they have the evidence. Now, this is very important. At one point at the end of the podcast of this interview, he says to Tar Carlson, we have the digital evidence and it needs to be released. And I believe that Mike Johnson will release it. But what he meant by digital evidence is not just what I've been talking about to you guys for a year, okay, and to Congressman Jim Jordan and you know to McCarthy before him. We want the January 6th videos. But what Higgins was saying is they have the transcripts of the radio calls between policemen. They have the uh, text messages, the digital evidence between all the FBI informants who were with the Proud Boys or with all the other groups. Higgins says flat out that in every instance with any group that the FBI was spying on before January 6th, every time the idea of attacking the Capitol or taking over the Capitol or shutting down the uh, verification of the vote always originated from the FBI informant. It was entrapment. It was entrapment. Okay. And it's, it's a very powerful video and you need to watch it and you need to share it. Okay. But then I followed this up with a video I was not aware of that came out on New Year's Day and was posted on Open Inc. And this is called January 6th, A True Timeline. See January 6th in context as events unfolded for the first time. Now, this video is really important. A true timeline gives the audience a never-before-seen time-stamped blueprint for the events of January 6th as they unfolded in real time. No other film to date fills the gaps or tells the story chronologically the way this film does. The film is also different from any other producer date because a small group of protesters, some who are January 6th defendants, have been the ones to collect hours of footage to help contextualize the events of the day. The film was funded and produced entirely through small donations and tens of thousands of volunteer man hours. The hope is that the film will provoke all Americans to be more curious about the true timeline of January 6th. Okay? Now, when you go to watch this video on, on, our, on our website, what you're going to see is that while this you know, attorney says, oh, if you came and you were outside the Capitol and you were trespassing on grounds that were restricted, this video shows there was no way for 99% of the protesters to know that they weren't supposed to be where they're supposed to be because all the signs were torn down. All the barricades were turned down by people who looked like they were acting in a particular way to create that situation, 
Okay? And so this is why we got to get this digital evidence out and why Mike Johnson has to live up to his promises and then Higgins guy got to keep pushing him to do it. Uh, the people who produced the video uh, said something. We knew that the peaceful protest outside the Capitol was incited into a riot long before a single protester entered the building. We knew there were more. To, there was more to the four protesters' deaths than had previously told, and we knew that American people knew none of those things, and that's why why we put this out. While not involved with the production or content of the film, Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips made it possible to showcase the film on Open Inc., and that's the platform that I've talked to you about that we want to put all the January 6th videos on because it, we would be able to make them make sense. Using AI, you could follow people through the day and see what was going on. Um, as part of the January 6th collection, Open Inc. will feature other historical collections that have been heavily censored by the mainstream media and the American government. The idea is to preserve important historical events into, perpet into perpetuity. The creators of the film will continue to investigate January 6th to help the legal defense and ensure the American public knows the truth about January 6th. So there's going to be more of this. Now, at the bottom of that video, of that page, okay? So this is at wethepeopleconvention.org, the January 6th, a true timeline video, and the video section. And at the bottom of that article, there's a podcast with Greg Phillips and Catherine Engerbrook saying, true the vote, victory lap. I was unaware of that podcast as well, even though I talk with Catherine Engelbrook like at least once a week and, and we're in touch all the time. Uh, but she's been busy and I've been busy Got to watch that podcast. Why? It not only talks about this film, very little. It goes into depth as to what the, uh, the lawsuit, the victory that we celebrated by True the Vote the first week of this month, the first week of the new year in Georgia really means. It means way more than I thought. I had no idea how big of a win True the Vote had. Because now they have this lawsuit basically forces every county in Georgia to clean the voter rolls. And if you challenge someone, they have to take it seriously by law. And the governor and, and the secretary of state cannot interfere with that. you got to watch that little video. It's about an hour long. So, you know, there's more stuff happening all the time. But I thought that was really important things. Really important things. So then this little story came out. This was uh, it was a uh, interview between Steve Bannon and uh, oh my goodness, Julie Kelly uh, and Liz. And it's a story about Liz Cheney and her merry band of Democrats deleted video of top Secret Service official Robert Engel that would have exonerated Trump. Okay, so the January sixth committee wasn't just a way to persecute. Okay, Trump and, and go after Trump supporters. It was also a cover up. All right. It was a cover up. And we know this. So it's time for some people to go to jail for obstruction of justice and destroying public records. While they are at it, they need to prosecute Casey Hutchison for the many lies she told the committee. And Liz Cheney knew Hutchison did not write that note because the author already took the credit. That means Cheney subordinated perjury. Uh, Julie Kelly said, Jack Smith's 45-page indictment against Donald Trump on four counts for January 6th is basically lifted right from the January 6th Select Committee report. 
I mean, you could go through it. I think that I did as soon as the indictment was filed and compare that the, the two and we, that we heard the January 6th hearings and also the final report that was issued on, on December 2022. Jack Smith hasn't done anything to change it. See, the January 6th committee was trying to create the Jack Smith indictment, okay? Because of it's that indictment and the January 6th committee's criminal conduct, okay, was the predicate for what is now this effort to get Trump off the ballot, uh, because it is a predicate for the criminal indictment for the Colorado Supreme Court, and others is based on the work of this committee, it is crucial that House Republicans expose the malfeasance of that committee, which is centered on now the destruction of concealment of evidence, and not just from the public, not from the defense, defendant of Jack Smith's January 6th indictment. In other words, when, when Trump is being charged by Smith and the January 6th committee did their report based on this evidence, they've now destroyed the evidence so that the Trump team can't use it in their defense. Steve Bannon said the number one thing is to find out about the destruction of evidence. Remember, there are over 1,100 recorded depositions. I think only 200, about 200, uh, have been made available. So there's eight or 900 that haven't been seen. And I want to make sure when you talk about our guy here, the guy that is the head of the Secret Service, Bobby Engel was the head of the Secret Service, that he's not just some security guide. He was the head of Trump's security. Given Casey Hutchins' bald-faced perjury, and she should go to jail for a long time. That's how important this is. You're not going to be able to stand up there and lie about a guy in the middle of a fight for the control of the country, young lady. You're not going to be able to change your testimony. We've got it on tape. He's the head of the Secret Service. How possibly can his deposition be missing? How does that happen? How could that possibly be? Would that be uh, one where you would have to uh, secret vault that nothing could happen? Wouldn't you put something like that away to protect it, right? Yes, and furthermore, what's concerning me, Julie Kelly said, not only is the transcript missing, but all of his text messages are missing as are the text messages between top Secret Service officials, including the head of the Secret Service, texts that were deleted at the end of January 21, even though they knew, the agency knew, that, that, that these were supposed to be preserved. So a year after, you know, at the end of January 21, they delete all the Secret Service text messages. You tell me this isn't a cover-up? You tell me there wasn't a crime? This is what history needs to show. That's why Julie Kelly's work is so important, okay? Because we're going to prove this. We're going to prove that January 6th was nowhere near an insurrection. It was a police riot that was instigated for a single purpose, and that was to stop the investigation into the illegal elections in the various states because that's what was going on. And, and if you watch that movie about the timeline, you will see how it is amazing how at precisely the point where Cruz and Gossert and some of these guys were going to challenge the Arizona election and some of these other elections, boom, they let people into the Capitol and they say, we have to evacuate. And that creates the emergency they needed to stop the challenges to the election. Okay, that's what you're going to find out. The proof is still coming, but we're, we're getting more and more and more out. Okay? Um, before we get on to other news, I just want to put this out there because I think it's important. The Supreme Court win is in the cards for January 6th defendants, lawyers predict. Hundreds of cases, including Trump's, will be affected if the top court strikes down the government's use of an obstruction of an official proceeding charge. This is by Matthew Vandom 
from uh, the Epoch Times. The Supreme Court will strike down the use of a key federal law in the Biden administration's ongoing prosecution of January 6th defendants and in the process shut down the government's case against hundreds of defendants, legal experts predict. If the top court finds an Enron era obstruction law, 18 U.S. Code Section 1512C, is being used improperly against defendants, their charges are likely to be thrown out. It is utterly absurd for the Biden administration to charge January 6th protesters with a crime that carries a 20-year prison term, said Jim Burling, Vice President of Legal Affairs for the Pacific Legal Foundation. PLF is a national nonprofit uh, public interest law firm that challenges government abuses. The Department of Justice should get an award for creativity and for how they've come up with the ways of using Sarbanes-Oxley well beyond what anybody ever thought it would be used for. There are so many statutes that are so vague these days that the Department of Justice often brings charges against people for things that you have no idea that it's supposedly criminal conduct because Congress didn't intend it to be criminal conduct. And we talked last week about Supreme Court changing things this year to make Congress be more specific and not let bureaucrats like the Department of Justice make up what Congress said. Uh, the department has been notorious over the years for overcharging people and going for the brass ring when they could have a much more secure conviction on lesser charges, Mr. Burling said. The purpose of threatening a defendant with 20 years in prison is to get people to capitulate, to plead guilty, and many of the January 6th defendants have already done so. So all those people who had those statistics that I read to you last week and, and Joe Biden read them in his speech about, oh, all these people have been convicted. None of them have been you know, found innocent, okay? Because they're being bullied. They're being threatened with over-prosecution by this obstruction of an official proceedings charge that we, this guy thinks you know, that, that the Supreme Court is going to throw out. Mr. Burling said the Justice Department is taking the section of the law that says otherwise obstructs and having as a free-floating provision where anybody who otherwise obstructs any official proceeding or attempts to do so can be subject to 20 years in prison. I think both the liberals and conservatives on the Supreme Court are going to be very, very wary of this overcharging, he said. Okay? So, again, what are we about? We are about equal justice under the law and a land, a government, a country that is governed by law, not men. What we have is men ruling over us. We're fighting them, and we're winning. And you're going to see evidence of that as we go forward, but we got to keep fighting. So I want to close the January 6th piece with that. Now, of course, we're, it's finally here. You know, 2024 is here, and bam, the Iowa caucuses are Monday. And it's going to be tough because, as you know, we said at the beginning of the podcast, we got all this winter weather and cold. It's going to be like minus 15 degrees with a chill factor of minus 40 on Monday when they supposedly are going to do their caucuses. And so it's going to affect turnout. And so it's pretty clear that Donald Trump's going to win. So now what they're doing is they're setting it up and saying, well, if he doesn't win by at least 30 points, then it will show that he's weak, that he can be beat. What? If you won by 30 points in any other year, it'd be off the charts. But see, they're trying to, they're trying to, the, the, the media and, and all of you know, the establishment, the, you know, the uh, rhinos, they want to kind of make this thing like say, like, oh, if Trump was winning by 50 points, how come we only won by 30? Well, probably because it was minus 40 degrees. 
All right. Oh, but no, no, no. Those are just excuses. And so they're basically saying that Trump must win the Iowa caucus by convincing Mar Marjorie to maintain the aura of invincibility he's enjoyed so far. He's been cam campaigning like an unopposed incumbent and making hay with his base. Uh, uh, anything less than a 30-point victory could count as a crack in the armor. A single digit victory or loss would be a five-alarm fire. That's not going to happen. They're, Trump's not taking anything for granted. He's got actually a great campaign staff that are working because the Iowa caucuses are a different animal, folks. You've got to get individual people to show up. Uh, the campaign has listed some 2,000 precinct captains who committed to bring at least 10 people with them on caucus night. Volunteers have also collected more than 50,000 commit to caucus cards, non-binding declarations of voters' intent to support President Trump in the caucus. Now, in this Iowa caucus, it's a, usually about 140 to 150,000 people who vote, okay? But with this weather, they're saying it may be like 100,000 or something. So the question is, who can turn out their vote? The, the guy that's got the most to lose is uh, Ron DeSantis. He's just hanging by a thread uh, because, you know, the Koch brothers and area are pushing Nikki Haley. Uh, DeSantis, you know, has been endorsed by Iowa's popular governor Kim Reynolds and by evangelical powerhouse Bob Vanderplatz, CEO of the Family Leader. Vanny Platt has had a ma magic touch in previous caucuses, endorsing former winners like Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and Ted Cruz. Notice one thing. Rick Santorum, Mike Huckabee, and Ted Cruz, none of them became president. Uh, DeSantis is confident of a good turnout, and, and Vander Platt, you know, is saying that we're going to turn out our people. The one that's kind of in the background is Nikki Haley because, you know, they're pushing her really hard. Why? Because they want to create a situation in New Hampshire for an ambush. Okay. And so, you know, I'll talk more about that late, later when I talk about the Dems are doing in New Hampshire. But basically, the Dems are going to try to vote for Nikki Haley and, and, you know, try to make it close or pull out a victory in New Hampshire. It doesn't matter. Trump's the nominee. He's going to win South Carolina, which is Nikki Haley's home state. She was the governor. He's going to beat her like a drum in her own state. All right. This is all nonsense. But you go, folks in Iowa. God bless you. The Democrats have tried to replace you. And I'm going to talk about why they did that later in the podcast as the first you know, primary you know, each year. But you guys get out there and do what you do. You know, you're the ones that are the first to vet these candidates, and we wish you well, and we hope Monday, despite the weather, you'll turn out. Um, so in the midst of the, you know, the election starting, you still have the Trump trials, his, his uh, case in New York City, uh, you know, which is insanity. I mean, just insanity. It, it's a case without a crime, and they're trying to say that we're going to shut down Donald Trump's businesses and fine him $375 million for no crime. It's going to be appealed. Nothing to see here. The case in, in Georgia is falling apart. Fannie Willis, the the you know the prosecutor, uh, you know hired her lover, paid him like three quarters of a million dollars to prosecute Trump in his case. They met with the White House. They've been colluding with the January sixth committee. That thing's blowing up. Um, you know, Jack Smith, his cases are all frozen. You know, the one, uh, you know, in, in January 6th case is, is waiting for the obstruction of an official proceeding to be, you know, decided won't be done until June. The one in, in Florida about the documents, that's all delayed. Their whole legal strategy is blowing up. Okay. It's just, it's just becoming a mess. So we turn our attention to what? The Biden situation. You know, the, the, you know, the Comer investigations, the Jordan investigations. So this is a really important story that's you know, kind of not 
getting enough press. Pressure grows in Congress to determine if Biden's got defensive intel briefing on China deal. So what, what is this about? Well, this is about a very big deal. The FBI conducted FISA surveillance on one of Hunter Biden's Chinese business partners, while other federal prosecutors secured evidence that a second Chinese associate of the first family was present when foreign bribery payments were made. And a major bank reported to the U.S. Treasury Department that in 2017, a $5 million loan uh, was uh, sent to the Bidens from a Chinese energy company. And it smacked of Beijing's influence cooperation trying Joe Biden before he was president. A fast-growing body of evidence from bank transactions to court transcripts is putting pressure on Congress to resolve an important question. Did Joe Biden or any of his family members get a defensive briefing from U.S. intelligence that some of their foreign business partners had unsavory ties or were engaged in criminal behavior? The answer could have profound effects on the direction of the nation House impeachment inquiry. If lawmakers confirm that the president got one or more defensive briefings, it could add an element of intentionality and motive since his family would have proceeded with the deals and partners despite warning signs delivered from the U.S. government, right? If the Bidens didn't get defensive briefings, it could raise fresh questions about the U.S. intelligence community's capabilities and the selective nature of its use of defensive briefings, right? Just the news confirmed Hillary Clinton got at least one such defensive briefing about one of her families or political associates with Donald Trump, with our political associates, while Donald Trump did not get a defensive briefing when they alleged a Russia collusion. Instead, the DOJ criminal, targeted him with criminal investigation. See? So now, one of two things is true. Either the DOJ, I mean, it's absolutely proven that the FISA was used and they were watching these Chinese agents who were dealing with the Bidens. So one of two things is true. Either they gave a defensive briefing to Joe Biden and said, hey, man, these people are working for the Chinese government and you need to stay away from them, and they went ahead anyway, or they didn't give them a defensive briefing, which means what? They were ignoring it. They were letting the Chinese bribe the future president of the United States with $5 million. Either way, we got a big problem here, folks. So this story is just another one that's going through the whole works that needs to be done. Okay? So in the middle of all that, you've got the, the Hunter Biden fiasco, right? Because all along, the media said, oh, the Republicans have no evidence about anything, and Joe Biden's not on trial, and he didn't get any money, and it's all falling apart. But now it's getting serious because Hunter Biden is, is now on trial in California for tax evasion. And the question is, geez, where'd you get these millions of dollars that you didn't pay tax on? Oh, he didn't earn it. So that ties to Joe Biden. And so he, Hunter pleaded not guilty to the tax evasion charges, even though they have all the financial records. It's hilarious. But then he made his, you know, stupid you know a video he came to the the house the committee the comer commission committee and 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 just unannounced and made a big stir but by the end of the week he reversed course and said he would sit for a closed door deposition which is what comer has been demanding all right so what's this about in a, in a dramatic about face, Hunter Biden's lawyers told Congress on Friday that the first son will agree to sit for a deposition or public hearing in his father's impeachment inquiry. No, no, no. 
There's a big difference in the public hearing, which is what Hunter wants. Everybody on the panel gets asked to speak for five minutes and ask him questions. So a Republican asks him questions, and then a Democrat comes for five minutes and tries to tear apart where the Republicans said. It's a, it's a clown show, okay? In a uh, deposition, he's under oath, and it can go on for hours, and, and there's no time limit on the people asking him questions. That's what needs to be done. That's what Hunter didn't want to do. That's what Joe didn't want him to do, because that's where the evidence is, and he'll be pleading the fifth. Don't doubt me. Attorney Abe Lowell informed House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer and House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan of his client's decision, but asked that a new subpoena be issued since Congress formally approved an impeachment inquiry since Hunter Biden was first asked to be interviewed. If you issue a new proper subpoena now that there is duly authorized impeachment inquiry, Mr. Biden will comply for a hearing or disposition. Last week, the House Republicans under Comer's leadership moved to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress after his failure to appear for a closed-door deposition under subpoena from the committee, okay? So they're going to get finally what they want, and this is part of the Biden impeachment. Do they have the evidence to impeach Joe Biden? Unlike the, the, the fantasy of impeaching Donald Trump with no evidence. Oh, the phone call with Ukraine was improper. Now, the phone call with Ukraine was really proper, and you were trying to cover up that Joe Biden took bribes from Ukraine, from the Ukrainian oligarchs, okay? This is real evidence. This is a big deal. We're winning. Hunter's going to be convicted in L.A. He, he didn't pay his taxes. Millions of dollars of taxes. And Joe Biden's going to try to pardon him but that's still going to stain the Biden family. So while they're not really laying a glove on Trump, we're beating the crap out of Biden. And you can thank Jim Jordan and, and, and Comer and the rest, Brad Weinstrup and all the rest of those guys for these investigations. They're doing a great job. Okay, so the other thing that happened this week is Mayorkas impeachment hearings. State AGs to testify on the impact of migrant crisis, Biden-era policies. So again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to build a body of evidence to impeach Mayorkas. Not just make claims, but get real evidence, okay? Because he has not followed the laws of our country for immigration intentionally. He's guilty of not doing his job, okay? State attorney generals from the heartland will testify at the first impeachment hearing of DHS Secretary Alexandra Mayorkas on Wednesday, Fox News Digital has learned, and will describe the effect of ongoing migrant crisis has had on their states despite their distance from the besieged border. Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen, Oklahoma Attorney General Gunter Drummond, and Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey will testify about the impacts of the crisis on their states as well as the legal challenges they have launched against the Biden administration's policies. They are also expected to describe how they believe Mayorkas is not enforcing the law. They're hearing on Wednesday, havoc in the heartline, how Secretary Mayorkas' failed leadership has impacted the states, marks the first impeachment hearing after a year of investigations and reports by the House Homeland Security Committee, which looked at the handling of the nearly three-year migrant crisis. So that's on its way. Okay, Can we impeach him? Can we get rid of him? He won't step down. Biden won't fire him. But at least the American people will get the news, even though ABC, NBC, CBS, you know, uh, MSLSD, the Clinton News Network, they're going to bury this, right? And they're going to try to cover for him, but they're having a problem. 
And that's because Democrats in New York and Chicago and L.A. and, and Denver are outraged by what's going on with this immigration crisis. So there's, it's going to get out, and that's going to help people say, I don't want this anymore. I want, I want what we had with Trump. That's, that's the point here. It's all about election politics, folks. You know, I wish it wasn't, but it is. And you just need to understand that this is how the game is played. Even though we don't have the authority to charge these people for their criminal acts, and I know that frustrates you guys, the only way for us to get that is to win this year, to win the elections this year, okay? So the other thing you can do is you can keep moving public opinion with facts, with data, with things that are really happening, okay? So I just want you to know that that's being done. That's being done. All right, so Trump then uh, at a town hall on Fox, which got great ratings, you know, he basically said that he's going to have massive deportations if reelected. Former President Donald Trump vowed during his Fox News town hall on Wednesday night to create the largest deportation effort in the history of our country if he's reelected in November, saying we have no choice. Trump, the leading contender for the Republican nomination, said that as many as 18 million people will have entered the country illegally by the end of Democrat Joe Biden's presidency. A number, he said, is not sustainable for our country. Many of these people come from jails and prisons. Many of those people come from mental institutions and insane asylums. And many of those people are terrorists, he said, taking another big swing at the issue that helped him win in 2016. That's the commitment we want. These people cannot stay here because of the ongoing financial cost to you and I for them to be here and for them to have babies that add to that cost. We need to purge ourselves. And there's people who say, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, it can be done. The border guys that worked with Trump before uh, you know, has said on TV, yeah, yeah, let me do that. I can get that done. Now, I have been on Governor Abbott's case from day one about the Texas border and that he hasn't done enough. So I'm happy to announce to you what they did this week because the whole thing is escalating. The Texas National Guard just seized control of Eagle Pass from the federal government. You heard that right. They seized control of Eagle Pass, the place where the most immigrants have been crossing from the feds. Texas state officials seized control of the 47-acre municipal park along the Rio Grande River in Eagle Pass and closed it to stem the flow of illegal immigration on Thursday by order of Governor Greg Abbott. Texas National Guardsmen fenced off Shelby Park and blocked the gates with two Humvees. The seizure was done without the city's consent. Eagle Pass Mayor Rolando Salinas said he was informed by an official with the Texas Department of Public Safety on Wednesday night of the impending move. Selena said he was told the park would be closed to prevent illegal crossings across the Rio Grande into Texas. A spokesperson for Abbott pointed to the governor's renewal last month of an emergency border disaster declaration. Texas will continue to deploy Texas National Guard soldiers, DPS troopers, and more barriers, utilizing every tool and strategy to respond to President Joe Biden's ongoing border crisis, spokesman Renee Yazzie said in a statement sent to media outlets. Salinas, the mayor, said the news conference that DPS officials and the Texas Guard were preventing private citizens, city officials, as well as federal border patrol officers from entering the park. House Speaker Mike Johnson led a contingent of 65 Republican lawmakers on a trip to the southern border last week, which included a tour of Eagle Pass, 
which has been a, a hotbed for illegal crossings and the political epicenter of the ongoing border situation. Abbott has installed razor wire and his floating border barriers. I've showed you that on past podcasts at the Eagle Pass as part of the Operation Lone Star, setting off multiple lawsuits by the Department of Justice. With the razor wire, it keeps him away from our city and keeps our city say, safe, said Eagle Pass Fire Chief Manuel Mello III, testified Thursday on Capitol Hill at the House Subcommittee hearing against Mayorkas. Okay? Now, my problem is, why did it take three years, Governor Abbott? Why did it take three years? How many millions came across the Texas borders in those three years? But now, now you're willing to do this. So I, I quite frankly feel it's too little too late. But now you got to give credit where credit is due. Nobody else has done that. They haven't done it in Arizona. Haven't done it in New Mexico, right? So you got to give Abbott credit. But now this is a real pivotal point. Because, as you and I know, the left would like to create a civil war in our country. That's They want to destroy America. So the best thing to do is get us fight each other. That's what China wants. That's what China is paying Obama and, and Biden and all their advisors to do. They want us to destroy America from within because it's a lot cheaper than having to fight us. Okay? Now, you look at this Texas situation, you now have a state that's telling the federal government that we're not going to listen to you. You're, you know, you're not enforcing the law, so we are. Is that the grounds for a civil war? What happens if the feds want to try to enforce this? What happens if Biden wants to send the military in to go against the Texas National Guard? Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But you know what? I think it's something that we have to do. I think what Abbott did is the right thing to do. Because damn it, our country's being destroyed by an invasion, and he's the only one doing anything about it. Okay? So we support Governor Abbott. We want to do more of it. We want Arizona and New Mexico and California to do it. Good luck, California. But Arizona and New Mexico, we could do that. These are important things. We've got to keep fighting this fight because our country's at risk. And I'm going to play a clip from Matt Gates here in just a second. But in the meantime, this is how bad it is. Mexican president demands $20 billion from the U.S. and wants $10 million work visas issued. Mexican president Emmanuel um, Lopez Orbador recently revealed that what the U.S. must do in order for the Mexican government to help slow down the flow of migrants crossing the U.S.-Mexico border and the price is steep. Fox News Digital reported that Lopez Arbador announced his demands during a press conference on Friday. The development comes just a week after the Mexican president met with the Homeland Security uh, Secretary Mayorkas and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in Mexico City, where he basically demanded amnesty, and they said they, they were interested in that. Okay, In order for Mexico to help the U.S., Lopez Arbador demanded that the U.S. provide $20 billion to Latin American and Caribbean countries provide work visas to 10 million Hispanics who have been working in the U.S. for at least 10 years and end sanctions against Venezuela and put an end to the blockade of Cuba. Yes, let's not only let these people in, not only give the people who are here illegally visas, but let's help the communist governments of Venezuela and Cuba. And the Biden administration is listening. The demands have put pressure on President Biden, who has not uh, pulled well on illegal immigration since he took over the presidency in 2021. 
Report noted that the border experienced a large surge of migrants this fall with around uh, 240,000 counters per month toward the end of 2023. Blaze News reported last month that Abbott had ratified legislation that would make illegal immigration a state crime. The law that Senate Bill 4 moved forward after the Biden administration seemed unwilling to enforce federal immigration law. The state's authority will now be able to arrest uh, foreign nationals who sneak into the country illegally, and magistrates will be able to order illegal aliens to leave the country. Lopez Abrador, the Mexican president, said last month, the Texas governor acts that way because he wants to be the Republican vice presidential candidate and wants to win popularity with these measures. He's not going to win anything. On the contrary, he's going to lose support because there are a lot of Mexicans in Texas, a lot of migrants. Well, wait a minute. They're, they're not supposed to have the right to vote. Oh, what's this Mexican president saying? The quiet part out loud? Yeah. This is what's going on. The weakness of the Biden presidency, where instead of saying, like Trump did, either you stop these people from coming over or we're going to attack the cartels in Michigan, or not in Michigan, in Mexico, right? That's what Trump said. No, no. Biden's just going to, you know, think about should we give amnesty and visas and let's let Cuba and Venezuela, the communists, flourish. It's insane. These people are insane. But it all comes down to this, folks. This is the first ask of the show. Let me just play you this short clip from Matt Gates because this is what you got to do this week. Here it is. I just want no chaos and no drama. I don't want the border fight to be included in how we think about government funding. It's just unrealistic. It's going to lead us to being overrun. And so we've got to build a reservoir of courage with House Republicans to fight on the border and to cut spending and to go after the Bidens and to go after the bureaucrats. If we do these things, victory is in sight. But if we do this Schumer deal, I won't be speaking to you next Congress uh, from the position of a member of the House majority. If we do this deal that, that uh, Chuck Schumer is applauding, we will be out of the majority because our own voters will look at us and say, what, what have the House Republicans done for me? What did you fight for? And we may fight and lose. We may fight and get rolled anyway. That happens a lot here. It's happened a lot to me over the last seven years. But if no one is making these arguments and, and deploying this leverage to fix the border, then what is going to be left to fight over or preside over Anyway, appreciate your help. Appreciate you guys being in the battle. Here's my ask. Here's your homework assignment. Reach out to your members of Congress. Let them know that you want to shut down the border or shut down the government. And if you do that, just maybe we'll build enough courage among House Republicans uh, to be able to go to battle for you and to win because that is what you deserve. Okay, there's his ask. That's my ask. I asked you last week and then we got blindsided by the weak Mike Johnson, who's been a total disappointment as our House Speaker, who basically made this spending deal with uh, you know Schumer and and Biden that basically gives us nothing. You know, a ten billion dollar cut to the you know hundred billion dollars they were going to give the IRS, right? That's nothing. And so now the Freedom Caucus and 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 others are speaking out, and they're basically saying you can't do this. We must shut the border, no matter what. Either you close the border or we close the government. 
It's got to be that way. It's like Gates just said. If you don't do that, what do you have anyway? Nothing. What do you have to lose? You've got to make your stand right here. And so Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and <coughs> Roy Blunt and some of these others are actually talking about a motion to vacate the chair, to throw Speaker Johnson out. And I'm all for it. And those of you will say, Tom, come on, we can't keep... No. We must stand our ground. I'm asking every one of you. It will be in on our podcast page. We have the little section that says, you're asked for this week. You need to drive every Republican congressman crazy. Shut the border or shut the government. There is no compromise. Not one step further. We must end the madness. You and I are going to have to make that clear. Matt Gates has made the call. I'm making the call. I need you to make the call. Call your congressman. Visit their local office. Write to them. But let them know. Either you close the border or you close the government. You can't do... <coughs> you can't compromise this time. You can't give it up this time. You've got to stand your ground no matter what. Don't care what the media says. Don't care. Because as Gates said, what will we have left if we just keep doing this? Nothing. You're on the, the you're on at the gate. You've got to stop them right now. So we're going to take a quick break. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zostowski, and I hope you'll be back to join us again for the second half of the show. The We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. When you're playing a video, including our podcast, you'll see this little cloud button, and if you click it, it'll actually download the, po the video to your hard disk. And this works on our podcast page as well. If, you, if you're playing our podcast, and it's going to be loud, so I won't play it for much, but there's our podcast playing, and you can see this little you know, download button. Okay. The other thing you got to notice on our podcast page is that there's a link here where you can send me a message about this podcast. Hey, it was great. Hey, I didn't like it. What, you know, something was wrong or here's a correction, that kind of thing. You can use that link. And then these are the stories that I covered in this particular podcast. And you'll see there's links that go to the stories that to the articles that I used in reporting on that. So you can, you can click on that. Um, you'll also see that um, you can sign up for our emails and text messages, but you can also watch our podcast on Roku TV and on Amazon Fire TV. And these are the instructions for doing that. So this is all on our, our podcast page, right? Right on the front page where the yellow button was. So if you click there. You know, this is our podcast page. These are the instructions for watching on Roku TV or Amazon Fire. And I watch our podcasts on TV. It just feels more comfortable. Uh, so you can do that. We're also on Rumble. Uh, if you go to Rumble, uh, you should join Rumble. Uh, and, you know, it's Tom Z at WTPC. You'll see our podcast there. 
So you can get us a lot of different ways, including on Apple iTunes. And then this is an audio uh, version of our podcast. If you click here, it'll just play the audio of the podcast. It will not, uh, you know, uh, you know, show you the video. So people can, you know, listen to that while they're jogging or, you know, working out, working in the yard or just relaxing and just want to listen to the audio and not watch the video. And again, this is available on phone, on your iPad, on your laptop, on your computer, any way you want. And you can share, you know, this, this, you know, whatever you see, if you're on a page that you, you know, you really like and you know, you see an article that you think, geez, I've got to share this article, you know, with uh, someone in my family. You can send them an email by clicking on the little envelope. You can uh, post it on Parler or MeWe. If you click on this, you get all kinds of options, you know, where you can put it on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, which we don't support. But uh, you can do whatever you want. So, so we ask that you share what uh, you see on our We the People convention site and that um, you get more people to look at it because uh, that's the whole idea here, to help uh, educate people, inform them. And then, as I said uh, before, Link, we're not just about talk, we're about action. And in my podcast every week, uh, which is published every Saturday, so if you, you know, the new podcast usually comes out every Saturday. And in that podcast, I will ask you to do certain things that will help protect and defend your individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. So that's the We The People Convention website. Come back often, use it uh, to be informed, be informed, and uh, share it with others. Thanks a lot. All right, and welcome back. I uh, hope you enjoyed the first half of the show. Hope you uh, took note of the ask to contact your Republican congressman and say, no deal, close the border or there's no funding for the government. Shut it down. If you've got to waste time by uh, asking to vacate the chair with Mike Johnson, do it, whatever it takes. You're fighting for our country, okay? Um, I, I thank all you guys that donate. You know, we certainly appreciate those people who are doing that. Uh, I did in that podcast or in that video, I said that we're not on Twitter. We are on Twitter. Uh, so we're at Tom Z WTPC. Tom Z WTPC for We the People Convention. Uh, that's the same on MeWe and on Truth Social. Um, and so, you know, do follow our social media and repost us, please. Also, I, in that video, we don't talk about our, uh, our uh, We the People Convention phone app. You can download the free phone app at uh, your Apple Store or your Google Play Store. There's instructions at the We the People Convention website. Please do that so that we can message you because we're having to take action that's really timely and it's really important. Now, I'm going to demonstrate to you right now why that's so, okay? This week, Ohio House of Representatives votes to override Governor's veto of House Bill 68. This was a very big deal, a very big fight for us here in Ohio. And uh, those of you who are We the People Convention members from Ohio, because this is where we started, you were engaged, okay? And you won because of your efforts. The Ohio House of Representatives voted on Wednesday to override Governor Mike DeWine's veto of House Bill 68. The final vote was 65 to 28. <clears throat> House Bill 68, a combination of the Saving Ohio Adolescents from Experimentation Act and the Save Women's Sports Act, would prevent doctors from providing minors with gender-affirming, quote, care, as well as prevent biological males who identify as transgender from participating in girls' and women's sports. DeWine vetoed the bill on December 29th. Ohio Representative Gary Click 
the original sponsor of House Bill 68, applauded the House's vote on Wednesday to override DeWine's veto, calling it yet another victory for men, another victory for women and children in Ohio. <clears throat> Tom Zawistowski, president of the We the People Convention, also celebrated the vote, saying, this is how we protect our children and the rights of women and girls. This is how we protect the children who are gender dysphoric, from ineffective and unnecessary radical medical treatments and give them the mental health treatment they need and deserve. This is how we protect parents from being lied to and bullied by the left by giving them real choices for their children. This is how we defeat those who want to destroy our families and our society and our schools and our women's sports, Zawistowski said. The House Senate is scheduled to vote on the veto override on January 24th, if the Senate passes the veto override, the House bill will become law after 90 days. Okay? Now, why was this important? This is a heavy lift for us. In Ohio, we have this thing called the Blue 22. A year ago in January, 22 Republicans, supposed Republicans, after we elected them in the fall of 2021, yeah, 2022, okay, they uh, they went in January 2023 and they voted with the Democrats to pick the Speaker of the House. And since then, they've wreaked havoc by us not being able to pass any of the things, the, the conservative things we wanted. The SAFE Act was a really critical bill and we worked on it for three years. Christina Rogner in the Senate, Gary Click in the House headed this up. We spent three years and so it came down to they passed it and the governor vetoed it. The question is, would they override? And the way we fought this fight is we made it clear. And I put out things that said, call your representative and say, if you are a House member and you don't vote to override this veto, we cannot vote for you in the primary election on March 19th. That's what got their attention. Okay? But my point to you guys is, we, I had people write to me and say, congratulations and all that stuff. I said, here's the point. We're not going to win every fight, but we have to fight the fights we can win, and we need to try to win them. And this just shows you that if we do fight with all our might, we can, if we're smart, navigate ourselves in the position to get what we want. This is a big win in Ohio. And it was national news. So again, the national news went crazy when DeWine vetoed it, saying, here's another Republican stabbing us in the back, a Republican governor who's you know, bought the trans lie. And he did, hook, line, and sinker. The truth of the matter is Mike DeWine is in the pocket of the Ohio Hospital Association, has been since COVID. And guess what? They make millions of dollars on this trans surgery. And that's why they do it. And that's why we need to stop them. And that's why we need to override this veto. And so now I'm going to play you this video from PragerU that just happened to come out this week that I will link to and you need to share. But I'm going to play it for you right now because we got to set something straight about the lies the left is telling. If I told you that I advocate for the chemical castration, sterilization, and physical mutilation of children and young adults, anyone under the legal age of consent, my guess is that you would consider me a crazy person, a monster, or worse. But that's exactly what activists, medical professionals, and progressives who promote and defend gender-affirming care do advocate. The problem for these gender ideologues, of course, is while it is possible to identify as anything, 
It is not possible for a man to be a woman or a woman to be a man. To obscure this fact, activists have manufactured a small dictionary of sweet-sounding terms like transgender, gender fluidity, and non-binary. Gender-affirming care is the phrase activists have coined to describe sex change treatments such as puberty blockers, hormonal injections, and double mastectomies. Shockingly, children's hospitals are big players in this game. The Boston Children's Hospital's website has posted videos in which its doctors describe a full menu of medical treatments, including hysterectomies for gender-confused teens. The gender clinic at the Barbara Bush Children's Hospital in Maine offers instructions to boys on how to tuck their boy parts to make them look more like girl parts. Yale University's pediatric gender program director has said she's medically assisted children as young as three years old on their gender journey. Vanderbilt University Medical Center has assessed gender care to be a new profit center. One of its doctors explained why. Attempting to change someone's sex creates a permanent patient. Knowing patients will have to return for repeated treatments is a guaranteed moneymaker. Even the American Academy of Pediatrics has endorsed the medical and chemical treatment of gender-confused children. When some members asked for a more critical look at affirmative care, they were immediately shut down, accused of being transphobic. The Pediatrics Academy did not stop there. It teamed up with the American Medical Association and the Children's Hospital Association to petition the Justice Department to suppress anyone on social media who opposes their pro-gender treatment position. While the American medical establishment speeds toward the affirmative care cliff, other countries are hitting the brakes. The United Kingdom has shuttered its state-run Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic, which was the largest pediatric gender clinic in the world after a report found that its patients were at considerable risk due to its unquestioning affirmative approach. A more accurate description for this approach would be medical malpractice. In no other part of the medical world is it considered acceptable or even legal to damage the body of a healthy person irreversibly. If a mentally ill man who identifies as an amputee asks a doctor to amputate his perfectly functioning arm to match his identity, every self-respecting surgeon will send him away. If a young girl suffering from anorexia walks into a hospital and asks for liposuction, no one in their right mind would grant her request. And that's because physicians swear an oath to do no harm, to preserve and protect and heal a person's body as best as they can in spite of any delusions the person may be experiencing. And yet doctors violate that oath every time they promote gender-affirming care. Their motives, no matter how compassionate they might sound, are not relevant. The idea that teenagers, let alone small children, are capable of making such life-altering decisions is not only brand new, it's absurd. A society that allows them to do so is deeply broken. So, how do we put an end to this horror? First, we need to stop going along with the language games gender ideologues want us to play. There are men and women and boys and girls. And there are men and women and boys and girls who are confused or deluded about which one they are. There is no such thing as having a place on a gender spectrum. With the rarest exceptions, we are born one of two sexes, male or female. Sex is not assigned. It is an integral part of who we are right from the moment of conception. 
This is true for horses, dolphins, and every other species in the animal kingdom. It is also true for human beings. There is no such thing as gender-affirming care. You cannot affirm something that does not exist. What does exist is chemical castration, sterilization, and surgical mutilation. Second, we need legal accountability. Patients who have undergone physical and medical gender treatments as minors should be able to sue the doctors and hospitals who performed the treatments. The risk of serious financial liability will bring this barbarism to an end faster than a hundred protests. This is a battle that we must win, not least because there is an entire generation of boys and girls being made to believe that irreversibly changing their bodies will fix the social and emotional anxieties they experience. We must act now. Our children are counting on us, even if they don't know it. They are, after all, just children. I'm Kaylee McGee-White of the Washington Examiner and Independent Women's Forum for Prager University. All right, there it is. There's no such thing as gender-affirming care, and yet the media says that all along. No, there's castration. There's mutilation. There, is, there are not two genders. Our job is to never allow anyone in our presence to say those things without being challenged. This needs to come to an end. It's sick. And thankfully, in Ohio, because of your actions, it is coming to an end. And we need to keep fighting this fight. Now, that video will be linked in our podcast page to the PragerU site, and you should share it. Now, full disclosure, the We the People Convention uses some of your donations to help fund Prager University. Nan and I also give a, a donation personally to PragerU. PragerU is a resource you need to use all the time. Go to PragerU.com to see the five-minute videos, the fireside chats, the movies, everything you need to see, because they are fighting the fight and giving you the ammunition you need to win the fight. And as a follow-up to this, I just want to show you. I, I showed you in Ohio, we fought and we won, okay? Here's another fight, fight that we won. Judge tells California school district to reinstate teachers who refuse to keep students' gender identity secret. In December, our Jeff Charles brought you the story of how two teachers from the Asiando Union School District uh, were placed on administrative leave after they refused to hide their gender identities of students from their parents, citing their religious beliefs. The pair sued, and in September 2023, Roger Menendez, senior judge of the United States District Court for the Southern District of California, issued a preliminary injunction against the district and barred it from enforcing such policies. The news, uh, new policy appears to undermine their own constitutional rights while it conflicts with knowledge, knowledgeable medical opinion, he wrote. On Wednesday, Benitez weighed in on the matter again and told the school to get the teachers back in the classroom. The order from Judge uh, Roger Benitez says the teachers, who haven't been allowed in their classroom since last May, must be allowed to return by next Tuesday, January 15. In September, Benitez blocked their employer, Ascendiano Union School District, from forcing them to comply with their policy to socially transition kids to different gender identities behind their parents' backs. Both sides are expected to work in good forth for going forward to resolve this matter, Benitez wrote Wednesday. I am shocked. I'm still processing it. I can't believe it, said one of the teachers, Lorianne West, who has been reinstated. 
The gender identity issue has been a contentious in California as Attorney General Rob Bonita has escalated his attacks against teachers who don't believe it's their job to hide people's gender identities. In August 23, he sued the Chino Hill School District after its board voted to require teachers to tell parents of uh, changes in their students' preferred gender. He sued them. He's got to be unelected. He's a bad man, okay? But these teachers fought and won. This school district fought and won. The parents in the Chino Hill School District got the board to change the policy. That's what 2024 is about, folks. It's fighting and winning. We may lose some. That doesn't mean you don't fight. You fight where you got a chance to win. You fight smart, okay? And then you move on to the next battle. But that's what 2024 is about. So this one was another Ohio story, but it was important because we're all concerned about elections and, and cheating. Ohio voting restrictions are constitutional federal judge rules. A Cleveland federal judge ruled Monday that a bevy of election restrictions that Ohio Republican lawmakers put into place last year, including new photo identification requirements and eliminating in-person early voting the day before Election Day, are constitutional. Senior U.S. District Judge Donald C. Nugent said the challenged restrictions outlined in House Bill 458 passed muster under the First and Fourteenth Amendments, shooting down arguments from the advocates for the homeless teachers, retirees, and members of the military who say they unconstitutionally impinge upon their right to vote. While the changes made by HB 458 may have minimally changed the contours of Ohio voting law, these changes are entirely distinct from the content and contours of the right to vote that is protected by the Constitution, wrote the Northern District of Ohio judge who was appointed by President Clinton in 1995. Okay, Nugent's uh, ruled in favor of Secretary of State Franklin Rose, the Ohio Republican Party, and two election workers on a summary judgment. So again, we put these laws into place, even though they said, oh, you know, if you ask for a photo ID, it's racist because you know, don't you know, black people are too stupid to get a photo ID, right? That's the left wants you to believe. We don't, we know our black friends aren't stupid. They're just as good as anybody else. And it's prejudiced to say they shouldn't have to get a photo ID when everybody else does, all right? But here's the point, the, the right to vote doesn't mean that voting is like falling out of bed. It doesn't mean that there can't be any requirements, right? You have a right to drive a car, but you got to pass a driving test. you got to follow the laws or they take your driver's license away. The right to vote, they've tried to make it this thing where, well, anything you do that makes it any harder for me to vote is, is a violation of my rights. See, and that's kind of was the case in Georgia with True the Vote, where they said even checking your eligibility was voter intimidation. And the court ruled, no, it's not. See, this is what we've got to keep pressing. We should make it hard to vote, not because we don't want you to vote, but because we want to make sure only the people who have a right to vote vote. But they, they you know, no, no, that's racist and all the other things. Another big win in Ohio. Congratulations, Ohio. You had a pretty damn good week. This is a story I alluded to early, and you guys came to the website and, and shared this like crazy. Thousands of you did. Um, and again, if you don't get our texts and emails, go to wethepeopleconvention.org, right on the front page, put your email address in and your phone number in so we can tell you about these stories. 
Dems accused of voter suppression in New Hampshire while working to rig the Republican vote for Nikki Haley. Can't make this stuff up, folks. I, I mean, this is just perfect. Yes, the defenders of democracies, don't you know, are accused of illegal suppression of Democrat voters whilst they simultaneously plot to interfere with the Republican primary by telling Dem voters to vote for Nikki Haley in the Republican primary. After the DNC ordered New Hampshire Democrats to educate the public about their meaningless primary, the state's attorney general fired back with a threat. The Democratic Party infunding over the New Hampshire primary just got litigious. The New Hampshire Attorney General's office on Monday sent a cease and desist order to the Democratic National Committee after the National Party demanded state Democrats educate the public that their upcoming presidential primary is meaningless, don't you know? In its letter, the DNC to the in his letter to the DNC, the New Hampshire Attorney General's office declared that the demand was illegal voter suppression and warned the DNC to stop trashing their primary or risk further enforcement action telling any person qualified to register to vote or vote in New Hampshire that the January 23rd New Hampshire Democratic presidential primary is meaningless, constitutes an attempt to prevent or deter New Hampshire voters from participating in their primary in violation of their state law. Assistant Attorney General Brenda O'Donnell wrote uh, in the order to the DNC citing the portions of the state's voting rights law. This matter remains open. The office reserves the right to take further enforcement action against the DNC based on the actions described in this letter and any other actions that violate state election law. The DNC did not immediately respond to the request for comment. The DNC, this all comes from the DNC last year overhauled their presidential primary calendar for 2024. Iowa was widely expected to lose its place as the kickoff to the campaign after its botched it botched the 2020 caucuses and became uh, because of long-standing criticism that its caucuses were too white and too underground democratic. So Iowa, you shouldn't be first to hold up your caucuses because you're too white. Okay. The party committee working on the calendar stunned observers and insiders alike, however, when it announced that Biden had communicated his desire to have South Carolina go first, which would dem demote New Hampshire, a change that few expected. The DNC swiftly codified Biden's wishes, saying they were necessary to give voters of color a greater voice in the process, though many noted that Biden happened to win South Carolina in 2000, but he lost Iowa, came in fourth, and New Hampshire, where he came in fifth that year. They're rigging the freaking election and, and the Democratic primary for Joe Biden, but all you dumbasses in the Democratic Communist Party keep voting as if you think it's real. Here's the sign. New Hampshire's presidential primary. Since 1920, New Hampshire has held its pr uh, pr uh, presidential primary elected before any other state. That is their state law. What right does the DNC have to say that you, you, we're going to change your state law? The answer is none. But see, what they're doing is they're basically saying is whatever you know, the vote turns out in New Hampshire, and Biden's not on the ballot, so he's going to lose, that those votes don't count in the uh, Democrat uh, convention as uh, caucus voters, okay? So in, in that way, they're saying they're meaningless. We made them meaningless. But you're interfering with the election, and you're suppressing the votes of Democrat voters. Oh, but you're the ones who are protecting democracy while you try to kick Donald Trump off. It's a sweet story. Be sure to go to wethepeopleconvention.org and share this with all your uninformed friends. 
okay? And Nikki Haley still isn't going to win the New Hampshire primary, even with the help of the Democrats. Okay, on to some serious things, because there are more serious things, even though the elections are serious. U.S. and U.K. launch airstrikes against Houthi rebels in response to attacks on ships in the Red Sea. We've been tracking this. I've been talking to you about this. I've been telling you to keep an eye on this. The U.S. and Britain launched airstrikes in Yemen on Thursday in response to Iran-backed Houthis' recent attacks against vessels in the Red Sea. The strikes came hours after the White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby called on the Houthis to stop these attacks and warned the group would bear the consequences for any failure to do so. The militants have launched 27 attacks on vessels in the Red Sea since November 19th, the U.S. military said earlier on Thursday. The group says the attacks are in protest of Israel-Hamas Israel war. The retaliatory strikes target a source of group attacks, Bloomberg News report, noting that heavy explosions were seen in the Yemeni, Yemeni capital of Sana and the port city of Al-Hadja. The attacks were carried out with support from Australia, the Netherlands, Bahrain, Canada, and UK. Uh, President Biden confirmed the strikes in a statement on Thursday evening, explaining that this action was in direct response to unprecedented Hutu attacks against international maritime vessels in the Red Sea, including the use of anti-ship ballistic missiles for the first time in history. These attacks are endangering U.S. personnel, civilian mariners, and our partners, jeopardizing trade and threatening freedom of navigation. He said, noting that more than 50 countries have been impacted by the attacks on commercial shipping, while crews for more than 200 countries, excuse me, 20 countries, have been threatened or taken hostage in acts of piracy. More than 2,000 ships have been forced to divert thousands of miles to avoid the Red Sea, which causes weeks of delays in product shipping times. And on January 9th, Houthis launched their largest attack to date, directly targeting American ships, Biden said. Before the UK and the US launched the strikes on Thursday, Hutu leader Abdul Malik al-Houthi threatened a big response against the US and its allies in the event they took military action against the group. We'll confront the American aggression, he said in a televised speech. Any American attack won't go unpunished. Okay? Now, Trump is president. Winding down the war in Afghanistan starts no other wars. First president in 50 years, no wars. Biden becomes president. Russia invades Ukraine. Huge war in Ukraine. Now we've got war in the Middle East. And we've got America directly engaged. What, and now you got the threat of Taiwan, right, and China. So what's this all about? Well, this all helps China. This all helps China. Do you think it doesn't help China to have all these Navy resources in the Mediterranean Sea and in the Red Sea because of the Israeli situation instead of around Taiwan? Yeah, you think that's an accident? No. Danger. Danger, folks. We're on the brink of World War III, and you better be careful. You better be careful. So the Taiwan elections are this weekend. They're happening right now as I speak on this Saturday, January 13th. And basically, the Chinese are trying to influence them, right? Wouldn't you think that the best thing for China to do is to try to, because they're so close and they're Chinese people, they must have incredible assets on the Taiwanese uh, island, okay? And, and so on January 13th, Taiwan will hold presidential and legislative elections. 
Taiwan's voters will cast one vote for president, one vote for a candidate running for the legislature in their home district, and one vote for their preferred party. The candidate with the most votes will win the presidency, even if they have a plurality rather than a majority. Uh, of the 11 of the 113 seat legislative Yuan, which will be fid- filled by the winners of electoral districts. Um, final, po- uh, final polling data leading in today suggests the Democratic Progressive Party, DPP, presidential candidate William Lai holds a three to six point lead and is likely to win with a plurality of votes against the divided opposition, though the KMT candidate Ho Yi uh, could still eke out a victory. Now, Ho Yi is the guy that China wants. He's the guy that will help them move China, uh, move Taiwan into China's arms without them having to fight. So China has lots at stake here. They're, this is their final push. If they can rig this election and stop the, you know, the person who wants to keep China independent, or Taiwan independent from China, from winning, they could possibly take Taiwan without military action. So this is a big deal. The fate of the world really comes on this because if China can do this, well, then it'll probably prevent war, but it'll probably destroy Taiwan and therefore hurt all the countries of the world because Taiwan's manufacturing will be lost. There's lots at stake. So keep an eye. But the guy you want to win, the guy that you know we're, we're pulling for is William Lai, L-A-I. Uh, he is the head of the DPP. All right, the Democratic Progressive Party. Now, again, the Democrat doesn't mean the same there. Progressive doesn't mean the same there, you know, as it does in the U.S. and all that. They, 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 they mixed up the words. But the bottom line is we got to hope that this, you know, that someone who wants to keep Taiwan free wins this presidential election. Now, we were talking about U.S. and the Red Sea and how that helps China. Here's a reality, this a wake-up call for all of you to understand. Because this crap about ceasefire and, oh, yeah, there, it's a genocide in Palestine. And, and I did get some emails last week about I used the word Palestine and the Palestinians. And I was wrong. Uh, the Palestinians are not, they, they don't exist. There is no Palestine. Never has been a Palestine. It's a fiction. Okay? So the, the, there's no genocide against Palestinians because there's A, there's no genocide and there's no Palestinians. But here's the reality check on this war. You need to understand this right now. Israel says Hamas has been destroyed in North Gaza, now focusing on Central and South, and we will do this differently, is what they said. Israeli military says Hamas has been destroyed in Northern Gaza, and the Jewish state will now concentrate on its Central and Southern regions, with the war set to last at least a year. Got that? Palestinian terror groups, 12 battalions operating out of North Gaza, have been defeated, Israel Defense Forces Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari announced over the weekend. We have completed the dismantling of Hamas's military framework in Northern Gaza Strip and will continue to deepen the achievement. He said there will continue to be scattered fighting in the north. Hamas has been left without a framework and without, um, without the support that they need to fight in the north. The official said the center and southern parts of Gaza are dense and saturated with terrorists using an underground city of branching tunnels, according to The Guardian. Major General Amos Yadin said it will take a year to dismantle Hamas. The timeline is long, he said. In 2002, it took two months to get into Palestine cities and two years to make the terror stop, Yadin said, referring to the Israeli offensive in the West Bank after a series of suicide bombings more than two decades ago. 
So Israel is now looking at nine months to a year in Gaza now. It depends on how long Hamas will hold on. Around 8,000 Hamas militants have been killed so far. Okay? This ain't going away anytime soon. And it's not genocide. And guess what? Israel cannot defend itself if Hamas is right on their border. They must be destroyed. So don't listen to any of this crap about, oh, we want to cease fire and all. No, no. This is going to be ended. It's going to be ended the right way. And it sure as heck isn't genocide. So I want to push that out to you. Okay. This is important to all of us because they keep lying to us. Another month, another horrible inflation report. They keep trying to tell you that Bidenomics works and inflation is coming down. But it's not. It's all a lie. Here's the facts. The slight claims being made by President Joe Biden and Democrats on Capitol Hill, inflation is still not going down. Instead, according to the latest Consumer Price Index release on Thursday, inflation increased again in December in a significant acceleration for November's read on consumer prices. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, CPI inflation uh, increased 0.3% in the final month of 2023. On an annual basis, the last 12 months saw inflation rise 3.4%, notably more than the Federal Reserve's target inflation rate of just 2%. Okay? It's still going up. One of the biggest drivers of the December price increases came from the shelter index, which accounted for half of December's jump according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In addition, the energy index increased 0.4% in the final month of last year, with electricity and gasoline prices increasing, uh, outweighing a small drop in natural gas index. The cost of uh, food increased 0.2%. Jobs Creator Network CEO Alfred Ortez said, Alfredo Ortez said the latest CPI re- uh, report showing surging prices is destroying the narrative that inflation fight is over as prices are still rising at nearly twice the Federal Reserve's target rate. This high inflation is coming on top of the historic inflation that occurred during the first two years of the Biden presidency, Ortiz reminded. As a result, ordinary Americans and small businesses are facing a cost of living crisis. Today's inflation numbers show no relief is in sight and the nation is moving in the wrong direction, he continued. Resulting inflation is a direct result of reckless spending by the Biden administration and Congress, Ortiz emphasized. Damn it. Stop it. Stop spending money you don't have. That's your message to Congress. You might as well add that to when you you close the border or close the government. And if you don't cut spending, close the government because that will cut spending. And don't pay them back for the shutdown afterwards. Wake up. Do the right thing. Last week also, while I was doing this podcast, there was a, a very important video that I posted on our webpage, and it is another Tucker Carlson uh, video. And it was very disturbing. And for those of you who really follow the COVID you know, crisis and, and what, you know, what really happened there. This Tucker Carlson 60-minute interview with Brett Weinstein, who's a biologist, about what Big Pharma really is, what drives them, what really happened with COVID, who was responsible, why haven't they stopped allowing the mRNA vaccines when they are so clearly dangerous, why has no one been held accountable for the damage done, and why does it look like they want to do it again and worse? This video, folks, is one hour long, and it's you're going to want to watch it twice, okay? Because what he says is absolutely stunning. 
This was a criminal act. There's no doubt about it. He explains how it happened, why it happened, who was involved, and he predicts that we're going to defeat him. Now, he, he calls, he keeps using the word David versus Goliath because he and Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough and uh, Bhattacharya from Stanford and all these people, he said, the funny thing about this is by trying to shut up people from fighting the, the, the absolute lies that were put out during COVID, that they actually, by censoring these people, created a dream team. He says, we've got the best people on our team. And so now with Tucker Carlson's show, which, by the way, I think this video, when you watch it, it's, you're going to see it's been watched by like 34 million people, okay? Because of things like this podcast and Tucker Carlson and, and Bongino and, and, and you know Shapiro and, and all the rest of them out there, that we're getting the word out and people aren't buying the propaganda, now, there's many people predicting that there's going to be another worldwide pandemic before this election because they don't want us to have an election. They want to cheat. He's saying, we think we can defeat them. We think we can educate the American people and they won't buy it. We'll see. But go to wethepeopleconvention.org and, and watch this video. It'll be well worth your time and then share it because, I, as I said, I think you're going to want to watch it twice. It's that good. Thank you, Tucker Carlson. A couple more shows, and we'll wrap it up here for the day. This is a, another story of us fighting back. William Penn's statue will remain in Welcome Park, officials say, after public outcry. The National Park Service opened a period for public comment on Monday and closed the comment period that day. On Monday, they put out a story that said, we're remodeling William Penn Square, okay, and we're going to take out William Penn's statue, the founder of Pennsylvania. Okay, no, people went crazy. Uh, the statue of William Penn will remain in Philadelphia's historic Wilkham Park, state and federal officials said, following public outcry over proposed plans to remove the statue. The National Park Service said last week that it would remove the statue of Penn, the founder of the British colony of Pennsylvania, to rehabilitate the park to become more welcoming, accurate, and inclusive, don't you know? But the agency reversed the decision on Monday. My team has been in contact with the Biden administration throughout the day to correct its decision, Pennsylvania Democratic Governor Josh Shapiro said Monday on X, after the agency flipped on the decision to remove the statue. I'm pleased Welcome Park will remain the rightful home of this William Penn statue right here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which Penn founded. The National Park Service opened a period for public comment starting Monday for input on the park's planned rehabilitation, but the agency withdrew the proposal and closed the comments period that day. The preliminary draft proposal, which was released prematurely and had not been subject to a complete internal agency review, is being retracted. No changes to the William Penn statue or plan, the National Park Service said Monday. Oh, yeah, it was released prematurely, and uh, yeah, yeah, nothing to see here. We just retracted it. No, no, you the people of Pennsylvania forced them to retract that because you fought the fight. The proposed reservation was drawn, withdrawn following heavy criticism online. The Biden administration has taken down a statue of William Penn, not Robert E. Lee, not Stonewall Jackson, but William Penn. These people hate America. There's no doubt anymore, commentator David Marcus said on X. While Lee and Jackson are remembered as Confederate generals, Penn was known for championing religious freedom and supporting friendly relations with Native Americans. <laughs> and so, again, when we fight, we can win. P 
pick your targets and then fight with all your might and win. This is a story that I wanted to bring to your attention because I don't think many of you are picking up on it, but it's important. SpaceX new direct-to-sell Starlink satellites relay their first text messages to phones. SpaceX just broke its new direct-to-sell Starlink satellites, uh, broke in its new uh, direct-to-sell satellite sa uh, Starlink satellites using one of them to send a text message for the first time. The milestone came on January 8th, just six days after the six Starlink spacecraft launched atop a Falcon 9 rocket from California's Vandenberg Space Force Base, the company announced on an update on Wednesday, January 10th. These pioneering tests include the classic, you know, new phones, who dis, as well as never had such a signal, with much wow, according to SpaceX, post on X on Wednesday. Uh, SpaceX founder CEO Elon Musk said the first message was, uh, LFGMF224, but he apparently was joking. I'm not even sure what LFGMF2024 means. Starlink is SpaceX satellite network and low Earth orbit that provides internet services to people around the world. We knew that. But ever, this is a new step. The Magellan constellation currently consists of more than 5,250 functional spacecraft, but the six that went up on January 6th were the first with direct-to-cell capabilities. Those half dungeon launched with, along with 15 traditional Starlink satellites. Beaming connectivity service from satellite directly to smartphones, which SpaceX is doing by a partnership with T-Mobile, is difficult. Uh, is a difficult proposition, as SpaceX noted in a Wednesday update. For example, in a terrestrial network, cell phone towers are stationary. Your car is moving, but the tower is stationary. But in a satellite network, they move at 10,000 miles per hour. So that's a big achievement. Now, why do I think this is important for you? Well, as you know, that the woke companies like AT&T and Verizon have been trying to stifle us. That's why, you know, our text messages to you, they're making it harder and harder for us to use text messaging. We're trying to do electioneering in the, in the upcoming primaries, and, and we're finding it impossible. And the rates have gone up ridiculously to send text messages saying, you know, vote for, you know, Donald Trump. And so I think what this is going to lead to I think that if they try to silence Elon Musk, for instance, remember what they did with Parler? They, they deplatformed them. They, Apple and Google took their app for Parler off their phones and basically stopped them, shut them down. Well, Elon Musk is smarter than the average bear. And I think what this is leading to is I think that Elon Musk is going to have his own phone. He's going to have his own phone that you can then buy and do calls through satellites, okay, so that if they try to silence Twitter, they won't be able to. I think that's important. Keep an eye out, okay? That's why I'm telling you these things. And then this is the last story because I think it's really an important story, an uplifting story. And again, I guess the theme of this whole podcast has been we can fight, we must fight, and we can win if we fight. That's the message. So what's going on in Germany? German farmers begin eight-day massive protests against increased government taxation and alarmist climate agenda. This is basically a follow-up in what we saw in the Netherlands, where the farmers protested and ended up taking over the government. You will likely hear the term farm subsidies as Western media claim that German farmers are protesting the decision by government. However, what they are protesting is not a handout of government funds, but rather the addition increase of taxes for diesel fuel and farming equipment. The planned eight-day countrywide protest by agriculture workers began today. 
The actions include motorway blockades and are described by the head of the Farmers Association as the like of which the country has never experienced before. The government is planning to increase taxes on diesel fuel and farm equipment of part of Germany's Build Back Better Climate Agenda. Does that sound familiar? What happened to Joe Biden's Build Back Better? Well, he stopped using that. Why was that? Probably because they built back worse, right? But they're using the same stuff. The, the commies are using it all over the place. Okay, same playbook. Additionally, you might remember the Canadian trucker protest when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his left-wing government tried to deflect attention from the justified motive of truckers by claiming they were Nazis and part of right-wing extremist conspiracy to destroy the government. Well, that same approach is taking place in Germany with government officials claiming that German farmers are backed by right-wing Nazis. Now, again, you imagine what a, what a, a charge that is in Germany, calling someone Nazis? But they're not Nazis. They are people who believe in Western civilization, who believe in individual freedom and liberty, who understand that this bogus climate agenda is an attack on mankind. It's an attack on the poor, that they're attempting to starve us, as we've covered in this podcast week after week. Many of you were moved by the story I had about the, the ranchers in America and what they're doing to them. We need to fight this evil. These farmers in Germany are doing that. They're fighting these people. That's what it's all about. That's what 2024 is all about. This fight is worldwide. It's against global communism. That's who Karl Schwab is in the World Economic Forum. These people literally want to kill 7.5 billion people. They put it in their papers. Again, I, I always bring the receipts, okay? Go look it up. Jordan Peterson has a really good video out right now where he's talking about we're already living in 1984 and the fact that these lunatics want to kill most of the people on Earth because they think we're a disease. They're a disease. They're mentally ill. This fight is global for mankind. And as a human, as a member of the species, it's obviously in our best interest to defend our species against these people who want to eliminate us. Hats off to the German farmers. Support the American farmers. Don't let this happen, okay? Don't let this happen. Now, you know, I'm going to close the podcast. And, you know, again, what's most important is that you tell people about this podcast. This is the truth as best we know it, and most people don't know the truth. And I'm sure there's many things you saw in this podcast that you didn't know about. Um, and, and if you have any questions, you know, you guys said to me last week, you know, that I shouldn't call them Palestinians. You can write to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Info at wethepeopleconvention.org. We read your emails. We respond to them. Uh, I made a mistake last week about uh, AMAC and AARP. It's AARP, the lefty commies, who are sending out things to seniors saying, get the shots, and, and children should get the shots. AMAC is not. They're on our side. So you brought that to my attention. That's why you write to me, so I can correct it, because we're about the truth. We're not about lying to you. I'm not trying to gaslight you. I'm trying to tell you the truth so you can act to protect and defend your own individual freedom and liberty and prosperity. That's why you watch this show. 
That's why others need to watch the show. That's why you need to tell them about it. So we're going to wrap up our podcast for today. Remember, Martin Luther King's birthday is Monday, or is the celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday. Play the video about I Had a Dream, because that dream is the American dream, and we believe in that dream. And you need to tell everyone that you believe that we judge people by the content of their character, not their color of their skin. That's what America is about. I thank you for uh, tuning in this week. God willing, we'll both be back next week. And, uh, and, and, and I hope that you have a good week. Be engaged. This is the year. No sitting on the sidelines, man. It's coming at us like a fire hose. Be engaged in every political fight you can find. Keep your eyes and ears open and see opportunities and engage. Fight the left everywhere you find them. Win these little battles and we'll win the war. Okay? All right. I'm going to sign off. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski. God bless you and God bless America. We'll see you next week. Let's get